Hey, who is this? Hello? Yeah. Hey, uh, th- did you kiss my girlfriend? She, no, I'm sorry. She was up there in the office, and she said she had a, a, a kiss with a woman. And honestly, I'm I'm getting kind of mad about it right now. But I'm also just like, did you kiss my girlfriend? Well, I'm glad you're getting mad about it because I don't know what the hell you're talking about. Well, she said room it was. Again. Do you even know that? Yeah, I am. I'm in room 201. Excuse me, and I'm honestly just trying to figure oh, there out. Is like, no 201. Oh, shut so the shut the fuck up. There it absolutely is. I'm going to rip your belly off. You know what? If you got balls, bring it up here, chick buddy, little buddy, because there's no 201. I bet you'd like to see my little balls. You know what? I got your phone number on caller ID, so let me call 911. How about that? Yeah, call him about my little balls, and I'll tell you about my girlfriend. Stop I'm kissing call, her. and I'm going to report you. Yeah, report me. Report me. I'm going to report you I'm to a, God. I'm a Baptist. Listen, ma'am, I'm a registered Baptist, and if you don't stop kissing yeah, my girlfriend. You're a registered sex offender. Who cares? You like little kids. Uh, excuse me, you're the one talking about my little balls. She hung up. And today we have <laughs> Isaac Short from the Weird Sisters. Isaac, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, God, the amount of times I've called that poor woman, she probably does have the grounds to, like, <laughs> the federal government involved. How often do you do prank calls? Uh, a couple times a week. <laughs> like, I think, alone <laughs> by myself just for fun is yeah. this something you've always done yeah i love to torture people dude <laughs> it's just it just seems right dude i mean she called you a fucking pedophile bro i know that was like what a reaction <laughs> what a thing to say to a complete stranger <laughs> throwing around the pedophile word <laughs> have you uh what is the craziest call you've ever done oh god um actually we called the madison square and me and tom um I don't know, it was a couple months ago. We were up all night and we just parked in the parking lot across the street and we we're like, my wife got stuck in the bathtub. And like we convinced him that that we were <laughs> that we were like there on the first floor. I was like, I can't get her out. The door's stuck. And like the guy came out, he was in a cowboy hat and he just started screaming. Like we watched him come out. <laughs> He's jumping up and down on the phone. It's like, you motherfucker, I don't know where you're at. I'm gonna fuck you in the ass. Like <laughs> He's running around. He's like, yeah. I mean, we we call them a lot. Um, I don't know. They, we we called um, uh, the Wingstop one time up in Madison, and I, I called him up. I was like, my pregnant wife. She uh, she's she's being a real bitch right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna. I, how much would it cost for me to order one thousand wings? And she was like, oh, this is a prank call. And I was like, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. And I started getting a little heated. I was like, oh, I need to relax myself. I was like, you know how it is. You know, she's hungry. And and she ended up, like, bringing it up. And it was like, it ended up being, like, 50 cents a wing. And she was like, yeah, you know, if I can I can get you a, a – she tried to, like, get a discount. And then and then we ended up going up there. She was like, oh, you got to come up to the restaurant if you're – um, you know, we're actually going to put this order in. And we actually went up to the restaurant. But I was with um, uh, uh, our friend Trent. You know Trent? I think so, yeah. Yeah, he's he lives a, up in Clarksville? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he went in there, and he had, like, a shirt, like, above his head, and just, like, um, went and uh, un- unspooled, like, an entire roll of paper towels, and, like, um, you know, we just went in there and just kind of with our mouths open and stared at her for a while, and then, you know, we, she all got a good kick out of it, and then, you know, went home, but... <laughs> Uh, that poor woman that poor woman yeah but i mean i think it like i think it honestly there's two types of prank calls it's like there's people like that that get like sincerely offended it's just like then there's people that think it's funny yeah it's just like you're mixing up the night and then you get into like a half hour just goofy conversation and like those are kind of my favorite because i used to um when i was working for uh uncle marshall 
um, we would, uh, I, I'd be the guy to have to troubleshoot all the Wi-Fi. So I'd go down there and start, you know, you'd be on the phone with um, Xfinity for three hours sometimes. And I'm just bullshitting with a dude in the Philippines. And they're really nice. They're like, oh, yeah, well, how's Nashville? And they're asking all sorts of questions. And it's like, you know, where have you been? What, what's your day like? Talking to people in the Philippines. Those are my favorite. Yeah, dude, I, I've done a lot of jobs where I've had to spend a ton of time on the phone uh, just because of cold calling. Oof, not as fun. You can't be silly there. I, I tried to be. <laughs> I, I tried. I mean, there was times where I tried to, like, get the person to laugh or do something or just react because I didn't want to be just another person calling them because if I call back, they'll remember me. <laughs> Even if I'm, like, being stupid and shit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Now, like, I... You get so bored because I, when I first moved to Nashville, I had this job cold calling. I had to make a minimum of 60 cold calls a day, but it was encouraged to get 100 in. That's a lot. Yeah. That's, that's actually, that, that's, that had to drain you. It really did. Yeah. It, it, overall, it was a horrible job. It was for this company that was based out of Cincinnati, a logistics company. Yeah. And the place was really like a cross between a pyramid scheme and a puppy mill. <laughs> Because they hired everybody fresh out of college. I was one of the only people that was there that didn't like go to college. So I, I felt uh, a little like on the outskirts, you know what I mean? Because you knew you were smarter than everyone else. It, it wasn't that. It was, it, was, uh, it was a frat culture, you know? It oh, was 90% dudes. Like the chicks that were in the office would get sexually harassed all the time. Oh, man. They, they hired a bunch of like token hot chicks for the office. It was all <laughs> frat dudes that ran this company. Oh, so it was just a lot of shit like that. And then basically like the attrition rate was, geez, like after six months, I think... 80% of the people that I had worked with were gone. By nine months, I was one of like the people in the office that was there for the longest. It was me at like nine months, and the next guy above me was a dude that was there for like a year and a half, two years or some shit like that. Oh, yeah. It was horrible, dude. <laughs> it was horrible. I hated it. it. It moved me to Nashville, though, so I will forever be grateful for what, that. What were you selling? So basically, I was the, the middleman between... Truck drivers and people who wanted their shit moved. Like either fur, uh, furniture companies, um, like one of the loads I did was uh, frozen a truckload of frozen squid rings that, that went from Florida to California. Um, I know a little bit about like logistics and trucking and shit now because of that job. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting shit. Yeah. And it was fun to talk to truckers. Oh, yeah. Truck I have a CB radio, dude. Talking to truckers is so sick. What, do you know what region were you in? Were you in Maine? No, this was in Nashville. Oh, it was in Nashville. Okay. Yeah, so you actually had to, like, correspond with the truckers? Yeah, over the phone. Okay, so this is something that I, I've noticed. Um, when you're in different regions, it's, like, the most exaggerated accents that you'll find in that region. That is what is on the other end of the CB radio. Like, those are the type of people that, that drive trucks, if that makes sense. Because up in Pennsylvania, everybody's got that, like, straight Yinzer accent. Like, but down here, it's, like, it's, like... It's either that or... Uh a lot of Middle Eastern dudes do the do that job now. Really? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. No, it, it was honestly really cool because you wouldn't think that just from like a stereotypical American perspective or whatever. But it was it was a lot of people from 
that had immigrated from Africa, from the Middle East, India. Yeah. And they were just coming here to fucking work. Because, like, being a truck driver is a good job. Oh, it's a great job. That's what Justin does, my brother. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, I, 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 went on a, I went trucking with him one time. Did I ever tell you about that? No. Dude, it was so cool. Uh, so right when I got out of high school, I was 17. I was just fucking my life up unbelievably. And he invited me out to Spokane for about a month. And like the first like week or two, we just kind of fucked around swimming in the, you know, the river and riding bikes and just, you know, having a good time jamming. And then he had to go back to work, but he had talked to his boss. Um, uh, he was working for like an independent contractor and this dude had his own truck. So I went along as like a driver's helper. I made like, I don't know, like five, 10 bucks an hour or something. And we were delivering organic food all over the uh, Northwest. So we picked, we, we picked up in uh, Dufer, Oregon, and we had a like a 53-foot refrigeration truck, and we went to all of these- A reefer. A reefer, dude, yeah. Yeah, and, and the lift gate broke. I got to fix the lift gate. Like, you know, it was sick. And, but we were, like, camping in the truck. Yeah. And we we probably did four or five days. We went um, up to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Montana, all through Washington, all these little tiny, tiny communities, and we're just dropping off organic food. Like, I'm talking, like, these type of towns that only had maybe- like a grocery store and like, you know, maybe a couple hundred people live there or something. And just seeing the Northwest that way, just that young was super awesome. But living that trucker life was super cool too. All we did was just eat burritos and listen to the Rolling Stones the whole time. And we just had a, we had a box of frozen burritos and we'd heat them up on a dashboard on the defrost and just chilling in that big truck for about a week. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's interesting to uh, to talk to to truck drivers too because basically what you had to do, like for my job, was so you would get a load from a customer, yeah, and then you would have to find a truck to take it. There's many different methods. Some, so like let's say someone has Poland Spring. One guy in our office, he had Poland Spring. That yeah. was his big account. That's big. That's big contract. Huge contract. Um, so he was like one of the king dicks in the office, <laughs> and. Uh, he, he would have dedicated truck drivers, like guys that would always do the lanes cause they knew it was consistent work, how much they were going to get shit like that. Yeah. Um, but if it was just like a random load and the normal guy couldn't do it, you would have to negotiate. So one of the ones that I worked with frequently was, um, it was like a vegetable, uh, vegetable company. I was working under this guy. So like I was the logistics account executive trainee so they pair you with someone so they can teach you how to do all their shit but really that's the puppy mill side of it um and you do learn some stuff and it really depends on who your uh your account executive is that you're learning from like if they give a fuck there were some account executives that didn't even bother learning the names of the people that were in the office because the turnover rate was so high oh damn they just knew they were going to be gone but there was people that legitimately tried to teach me and help me and shit like that and i learned some stuff but so like you have to call them up and you tell the, the truck driver, okay, let's say your customer gives you $3,200 for taking, taking the load and finding a, finding a truck for them. Then you would have to, you would have to call, you would like enter in this number and you would just call trucks and be like, um, Southern California to Northern California, 1200 bucks. And you would try and negotiate and they would always go higher. Like, 
uh, the company I worked for, it, it was very shady because they, they always try to undercut drivers and just get huge rips, which I mean, that's, that's just part of business. That's yeah. how it is. Well, you're just a, you're just a sketchy middleman at that point. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> pyramid scheme, man. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the, the pyramid scheme side of it was basically people would get fired and you would get awarded or when someone fired, got fired or quit, you would get awarded whatever their accounts were. Oh, so like if they just didn't like someone, I saw people just get knifed and then get good accounts handed to them. The other thing that would happen is like, let's say you have some big prospects that are like under your name for a certain amount of days and you just keep calling them, hitting them up, trying to make it happen. And it, they can fall off your name if you don't call them in a certain amount of days. Um, but if you quit or get fired, the boss gets to decide who gets that. This is a bad game. I don't like this game. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was terrible. And then like the commission structure was bad too. Did they always are? I, I worked for, um, uh, Cutco selling knives for like a week. That was, that was my job after McDonald's. I quit my McDonald's job. I was like, Oh, 15 an hour. What was like 15 an appointment. And like the whole company was based off of harassing everyone you'd ever met in your life into, into selling them a knife. Or like a pair of scissors that could cut through a penny. It was like really dumb. And uh, then once you would like get in front of them, you would harass them until they gave you the names and numbers of a bunch of people that they knew. And it was this whole sales pitch thing. It was like three days unpaid of training, and it was it was so stupid. I think I sold a I sold a knife to my mom, bless her heart, and my aunt Carol bought something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, like I felt like such a chump. I was like, like reading off the scripts that like, you know, my, my Bob and my Aunt Carol. And I was like, ah, oh, this is so dumb. Like and the, the, my manager, his name was Scotty Brown. It's like, can you just imagine it's like his name tag said Scotty. It's it's like I can't take I can't take you seriously. How old was he? I, I mean, it's like twenty five. I mean I was like oh, eighteen shit. or something. Yeah, I, was like, yeah. I was like, dude, come on. Like but they, that 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 only lasted. I called him up. I was like, Scotty, this is bullshit. And he was like, yeah, I know, man. You're a little too smart for this. I was like, okay, well, can I at least keep the knives you gave me? He's like, no. <laughs> I went to one interview for a, a sales job like that. It, it was selling knives. Oh, really? Like, Yeah. Same so they, they just told you like what the commission structure to all that shit. I can't remember what it was. I was 18 at the time. I was living down in Florida, living with my sister. Um, this is really the first time that I was like away from home and trying to start my life and all that shit. Yeah. And I go to the interview and they did interviews two at a time. And they basically <laughs> made you get into this battle royale with this other person. And like the interview was like why you should be hired over this other person. Wow. Dude, yeah. that's intense. Actually, I, I think I would like that. Yeah. I, uh, I walked out of there and I told my sister and at the time. Like, if I was in that situation today, I would see all the red flags before I even went in. Oh, yeah. But I told my sister what it was, and she's like, yeah, it was a scam. You don't want to do it. And I was like, no, I don't want to do it. But then I ended up getting a job at this place. This was technically the second job I've ever had. Have I ever told you what my first job was? What was your first job, Taylor Berryman? I was working uh, at this place called The Maple Room. It was a live venue in a recording studio. What? When I was 15. I've never told you about this. No, dude. Yeah, so this was uh, my neighbor. Um, we had moved in next door to this guy, and he, uh, he was like a producer, and he was just about to open a live venue in a recording studio in Lewiston, Maine, which Lewiston is not a happening town. Like In Maine, it's the, it's the butt of a lot of jokes. Its nickname is the Dirty Lou. <laughs> 
but every Monday night there was a, uh, a jazz night. So sometimes I would get paid. Sometimes I would just do shit for free because I was learning. Um, and I was cool with that. And any of the free hours I ended up using for my community service hours for, uh, for high school. Cause you had to have a certain number of community service hours to graduate. Wait, did you fuck up or was it just, or was that just part of graduating? That was just part of graduating. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was required for like colleges and shit. <laughs> um, so I put down all of those, those hours at the maple room and, uh, I was, it was a, a pure scam, dude, because it was not a job. Like, I was doing shit like going to get, like, if an artist was playing there, I was going to get, like, Chinese food for them or going to get them a fucking water or something. I mean, shit. that's like, that's like regular intern shit. Yeah, yeah. It was cool, man. It was fun. I recorded there for my college demo. There was this kid that, uh, that was there, um, or that I wanted to play drums that I was in a band with. I was in, in a band my junior and senior year called The Science. And we played like Franz Ferdinand and we played Kings of Leon. The Science? The Science. I actually have a t-shirt for, oh, from I, it too. I would love to see that t-shirt. Wait, why did you call yourselves The Science? That wasn't a decision I got to make. I think it's a cool band name actually. It was It was a cool band name. Um, they wanted to name it some other shit too. Like they wanted to name it The Senators and they wanted to name it all this other shit. <laughs> the Senators. But I didn't really give a fuck. I just wanted to play. Yeah. But the guitarist for the band, he was actually a pretty good drummer, too. <clears throat> Spoiled rich kid, though. Um, the day of my college demo recording, he found out he got rejected from Columbia in New York. Oh, is that a college? It's a college in New York, yeah. yeah I don't really fuck with college. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> and um, But he got butthurt about it. He Oof. was so upset. We didn't get what he wanted. He didn't get what he wanted. That's sad. He, because we were supposed to do the the demo that night, and he didn't even call me to tell me, "Hey, man, I'm not feeling it tonight." Because I, I still would have been pissed, but I at least would have been understanding. Yeah. But him just blowing me off. Oh, there's a dude, little ta- bitch move. Dude. I know you, Taylor. There's no going back. Yeah. There's no going back. It's like you showed your true colors. Yeah. I that's knew all a- along, and you've demonstrated in front of me finally. Yeah. <laughs> like- he works at CNN now. Oh wow! Yeah. His dad—that's a nice paying job. His dad was the, um, the uh, like the the executive, like the head executive over at TBS, and he also was one of the creators of Survivor. Wow, the reality TV show. Oh wow! Yeah, that's I remember that. Yeah, my grandma was really into that show. Fuck that show. Yeah, fuck I, that kid. <laughs> fuck his dad too. <laughs> Fuck him all. He raised a pussy, bro. Damn. Yeah, probably. Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah, sounds like it. He probably, like, you know, always has a clean pair of socks that match and, you know, shoes that don't have creases yet, stuff like that. Parents that love him or at least pretend to. Yeah, no dirt under his fingernails. Yeah. I don't know. We could just sit over here and, like, make fun of him and judge him. I never met this guy. You would not like him, bro. Yeah, a lot of people I don't like. He did this thing, too. Fake. Um, he, He was a pretty talented singer and songwriter, but. He would write songs and then uh, show girls and say that it was about them. But all these girls started talking and they figured out it was all the same song over and over again. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, that's that that's a move that can only that only works once. And you better be. I've never told a girl, like, especially if you write a song about a girl. And it's like, yeah, well, I wrote this song for you. It's like that's that's not the type of tension that I that I really go after. But I think some people. Maybe that is nice to hear. It's like, oh, you wrote a song about me. I don't know if anyone's ever written a song about me, but I wouldn't want them to tell me. I would look at them differently. 
Like, I wouldn't want anyone to tell me either. Yeah, it'd make me feel a little bit awkward. Because what if you don't like the song? <laughs> yeah, you want to give them uh, constructive criticism on it? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like the chorus isn't big enough or yeah, well, you need more of an intro. God forbid it's all major chords. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. Yeah, dude, I've had a fucking million jobs in my time. Yeah, I, I made my list right here. And as you were saying that, does community service count as a job? Because that would be... Uh, that counts. That be You're doing some kind of thing with the public. Yeah, well, I, I got community service because um, there, was, there was a little bit of an incident when I was in, I don't know, 10th, 11th grade. And uh, me and a couple dudes, we, we went up to the football game, right? And, you know, about, like, nobody wants to watch football game. We go there and flirt with chicks badly. You're trying to make out with them? Not even. Like, it was not even that aggressive. It was just like, oh, you're pretty. Let's kiss. And then, like, fall down the steps in front of them. Like, oh, wow. Like, just trying, just being stupid to get attention. And, but, and we fucked off from the game and we went down to the middle school. It was, like, kind of all in, like, one huge complex. And, uh, we, you know, we're down there, we're climbing on the roofs and throwing shit off buildings and, like, you know, just, just gallivanting and being, being stupid. Being shitheads. Yeah, just being shitheads. And we, uh, there was, like, this, this little, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a, like a pond type deal, and there was a manhole next to it. And we just start tripping on the word manhole. We're like, oh, manhole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. And we open the lid to the manhole and, you know, we're, like, throwing sticks and rocks and shit down in there. And then, you know, we put a couple sticks on top of it, like, oh, my God, like, look, it's a booby trap, you know? And we're goofing on it, but then we just kind of, we get on to other things, man, and, you know, we're fucking around. Well, next thing we know, we hear this, like, freeze, sucker, and it's the janitor, and she's <laughs> bent over, like, a garbage can, like, one of those big garbage cans, and she's got a fucking pistol, and she's holding us at gunpoint, and we're like, <laughs> we're like, bro, we're 15, and we, the three of us are kind of looking at each other, it's like, well, do we run? Or th- and then we just kind of stay put because, you know, we're kind of pussies. And the, the cop comes down from the thing, and next thing you know, it's like, you know, he's, like, reading, in our, reading our rights, making us call our parents. Well, I called my brother. He was in town for some reason, my oldest brother, Brian. And he shows up, and he, like, went to high school with this idiot that's the cop. And, and he's looking at him, he's looking at us, and he starts goofing on, and he's like, so, manhole? <laughs> And so we're all kind of like, you know, laughing because you know, we, we think we're about to get out of it. But um, Monday comes, you know, it's a weekend. Monday comes and, uh, oh, please come to the office. And we were always, I, I've never got away with any. The things I got away with in high school were very, very small percentage. I always got busted and then always got exaggerated consequences. But uh, they made it, so we all had to go to court. We got cited for like criminal mischief and trespassing. And uh, I ended up getting an extra 50 hours of community service more than everybody else. I had to pay the fine and do 50 hours of community service. Why did you have to do more? Um, I, think because, I think because I was the only one that tried to fight it. I think I was the only one that actually ended up going to court. I was like, this is bullshit. And I went to the judge, Josh Canales, this fucking idiot. Because it's like, the, dude, the town, there's like a thousand people in the town. It's like... It's like, what did I really do wrong? I was like, I was screwing around at a thing. And, but the cop showed up. He had a picture of, like, the manhole <laughs> with the sticks on did it. Did you start laughing? I did. I was like, this is dumb. And they, like, you saw us laughing on it, and everyone's kind of turning pink because they know it's stupid, but they're trying to, like, teach me something. And I ended up having to do 50 hours of community service at um, a retirement home, the center in the woods. And that was kind of um, a really cool job because uh, I was just the janitor. And I would 
ride the school bus there and I would work until about seven or eight at night. And I did it every day for like three or four months until I got my, my hours. And I would just hang out, um, you know, clean everything and play the acoustic guitar, sweep everything, drink coffee with um, all the old people. And, you know, I got to make a lot of friends that way. But the very last, like, day, something was going around. It was like everyone in the retirement home got sick. And they all, like, we had, there was like a community room, like a living room. It had like a kitchen and some couches, like TVs and stuff. And I guess, like, everyone had gotten like a stomach bug. Bro, there was like shit on the walls, like people. They were shitting themselves. Yeah, throwing up and like the whole thing. And it was like my last day there, dude. And I'm like 15, and it's just me and the bald janitor, and we're looking at each other. And it's like, and we had to clean that whole thing from top to bottom, like just I'm like I've never had to clean up a mess so awful in my life. It was, I mean, it, the whole room must have been like a 200 square foot room of just. We, we were t- we were taking the couch cushions and put them in plastic bags so they could get thrown oh, away God. and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it was so awful. It was like the last day. It was like it was my last two hours, and it turned into like like a five hour job or something. I was like, oh man. Well, I guess the moral of this story is you learned your lesson. No, dude. I you know my times have been busted for trespassing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I've I've only gotten busted one time, but I didn't get in major trouble for it. My friend Simon that I grew up playing in a band with. So he, like he and I were rhythm section all four years of high school. So the cast of characters would change in front of us, but we had played with probably like I had one band called order 66 and that was like early high school. First, it was called Vacation Land. Oh, very main of you. And it was spelled with two L's. I hated it. <laughs> I thought it was so fucking stupid. We, I wonder if the MySpace is still up. It might be, honestly. Oh, I hope so. Um, and then we changed to, uh, to Order 66. That band broke up because uh, the singer and the two guitarists, they started smoking weed and like, getting laid and drinking and shit. And that was not me in high school. Like, I was like, I'm playing music. That's wow. all I'm going to do. Um, plus, I was just, I, I didn't have any skills with with women, like, talking to them whatsoever. Yeah. Um, it be hard to talk to. But then uh, that band, so it, it ended. Then my junior year, we became, we had that kid that was in CNN, this other kid named Alex. And there was a singer uh, named Charlie. Who wasn't, uh, he wasn't like a great singer, but he had a lot of charisma and sometimes he could sing okay. Um, and that band was called Sons of Verona, which is a great name, I think. Is it Sons of Arona or Sons of Rona? Verona. Oh, Verona. After the city in Italy. Oh, right. So it was mm. I- inspired by uh, Romeo and Juliet. Because that's the city that they're in, in Romeo and Juliet. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I, saw the, uh, I saw the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> it was, we were like reading that in junior year English, and we watched the fucking movie. So I was like, let's... Did, did they make you watch that movie in high school? Mm-hmm. Why did they... Me too. Why yeah. did they make us watch that as far as like... Well, it's, fun, it's a funny choice to make you watch it, because it's really like, at that point, it's like 10... 15 years behind the times. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. But, but fuck Shakespeare. Don't I don't like Shakespeare. Fuck Shakespeare. No, I don't. I, I don't understand Shakespeare. I can appreciate 
the storytelling devices, but it's hard to fucking read. There's better stories out there. That's all I got to say. There's better stories out there. I don't know why everyone's just fixated on this stupid little pointy beard man. It's the, they're this, they, they suck. It's like, oh, yeah, the cask of Amontillado. Oh, g- good one. J- Julius Caesar. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brutus. And fucking uh, The Lion King. That's, uh, that's Hamlet. Oh, oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, but, but yeah, let me tell you something. I don't like The Lion King. Really? Yeah, I don't think it's that good. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Yeah, I've, I've watched it in recent years, dude. I really have tried because, I mean, you know, it's a Disney classic. But it just it doesn't, it doesn't resonate with me. You know what I think is weird? Adults who, who obsess over Disney movies and they want to, like, go to Disney World and shit. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I do. Disney adults? Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a Disney adult. Um, but I am collecting uh, Disney VHS tapes for one reason and one reason only. The Black Diamond ones seem like they will be uh, getting real money. You'll be getting real money for those, like, 20 30 years down the line really yeah and i know that sounds really stupid but it's like for the amount of vhs tapes that do pass through my life i feel like i need to start collecting ones that'll maybe make me money in the future why the black diamond ones in particular okay so this is some stupid shit and i can't believe i'm talking about this you're talking to a guy an adult male who collects baseball cards. that's so so much cooler than disney vhs tapes dude like i I collect cooler things than this i swear but um but they they, when disney released their um first home video movies uh in like 1986 i think that was when um vhs tapes started to really hit the first edition of every single one of those VHS tapes, if you look on the side... Um, it has a black diamond It has on. a black diamond. It says the classics. And... Um, we had some of those growing up. Yeah, yeah I'm, sure, I'm sure you do. And you can find them everywhere, but it's like uh, Beauty and the Beast in particular. Um, you, you see it going for anywhere from like... Anywhere from $20 to, um, you know, two dollars $300,000 on eBay. Wait, say it again. Yeah, well, dude, I'm I'm telling you, man. People are asked. People are right now asking immense amounts of money for these for Beauty and the Beast, particularly Beauty and the Beast, and like there's some other dumb ones for two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, but like also, but you'll see them for sale for like twenty too. It's like so. What is the difference between a twenty dollar copy and a two hundred fifty thousand dollar copy? There's there's no difference other than what people are asking. But if you look, like people have paid in the upwards of like ten grand for them in the past, and it's just I, like you, you always see that in a market where people start asking inordinate amounts of money for stuff, mm-hmm. and then eventually, it, yeah, it, it, it becomes, becomes a norm. It becomes worth it becomes worth that much. Yeah. Yeah. So I got two copies. I'm just sitting on. Oh, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, I've, yeah, yeah. I got, I got my. Those are my two Disney movies. I got. You should turn them into NFTs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's figure that out. Yeah, yeah, dude. Uh, it's the same way with baseball cards. Like, it's stupid. Some of the prices that are that are out there for for certain cards, like a Mike Trout rookie, is going for like anywhere between five and 10 grand, depending on if it's graded or not. Cause you can get baseball cards graded. You send them to a grading company. The biggest one is PSA. And basically what it is, they seal the card. They look at the card, they grade it. They look at it's like it's edges. Um, and just all the different things to see, like, are, is there, are the corners in perfect condition, whatever it is. Wow. Um, and like a, a PSA six or seven, like Mickey Mantle, goes for 
it's multi-million dollars. Because like the older cards, there's only a certain number that were printed. Like everything in the 80s and 90s, they printed off. There was a huge baseball card boom then. It's, it's happening right now, another, another baseball card boom. But eventually the market turns to bust. Yeah. So it's going to turn on its head. So you, I don't even know. I, I've been out of the game now for, for a little while just because I've had a ton of shit going on. But it's, it's crazy. Like when I was getting into it, it was so exciting because it's like you're on the hunt. And it's like, can I get a couple hundred dollars for this card? Can I get a couple thousand dollars for this card? Damn, man. That's really cool. Yeah, I, don't, I, I collect a couple things. I don't think anything that I actually collect, though, would like ever see value, though. I have a lot of like records, I guess, but I, I, don't, I don't treat my collectibles like they should be collectible. Almost like the Beauty and the Beast thing is kind of like a weird investment experiment that I'm trying. But <laughs> dude, watch that be the thing that makes you the most money out of anything in I your life. Hope, dude. <laughs> I really hope it would be hilarious. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess I, 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 th- I think things like that of that nature are going to start making um, a comeback. I know they're starting to manufacture CRTs in Japan um, that have uh, VCRs built in. Um, I, I don't know if you're like a guy that watches like tapes or anything like that but no i mean i watched a lot of tapes growing up though well there's something about the convenience and the simplicity of just being able to go pop in a tape like that is the like me and gabby we don't watch um we don't watch netflix or like we don't have any of that shit we have a 32 inch crt that sits in the bedroom vcr and then we go down to like the great escape and just like buy 40 cent tapes and you know we like last night, I watched Apollo 13. That honestly kind of sucked. I really wasn't that big a fan of it. As much as I love space movies, um, we watched. I, I watched uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, like but like the TV show version, um, and uh, some other weird sci-fi. But it doesn't matter. It's like you know, it, it's it's something about that is like when you when you're just kind of window shopping. That's how I always used to buy records. I had to stop buying records because I was they got expensive and I was spending too much money. So I kind of ca- I put a cap on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, had, I, had to, I had to like stop going to record stores. Um, but it's like, you know, I would always just buy albums based on like that looks interesting. That's a really weird album cover. Like I've never heard of those that person before. Oh, look at that credit, you know, and, and just bring it home and just try it out. And it's like, you know, if you don't like it, then you just give it to someone else or, you know, Take it, take it back and exchange it for something else. But I found a lot of cool music that way. Yeah, I, I used to have a, uh, a decent-sized record collection. I probably had upwards of 150 to, to 200 yeah. uh, like records total. I was a 45 guy. I liked getting 45s. Oh, yeah, I love 45s, man. But um, it got to a point to where I just had to move so much in my adult life that I, I sold my fucking turntable speakers and, and records because it, it was so stressful to move them. They're so heavy. Yeah. yeah. When I met you, you had a bunch of records. Yeah. 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 But the, yeah, you had a bunch. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Digging through your record collection. They're heavy. They're shitty to move. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they weigh so much. And I would get all kinds of weird, bizarro shit. Like I had one that was like a... Uh, a Japanese pressing of the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, we're like um, the, the actual uh, score? Yeah. Yeah, Eno Marcone. Yeah, man, that is, that's like the best. That is, that's like one of the best records ever. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I was, I was super into uh, collecting like old spaghetti western, old soul records. Yeah. I, had, I had some of the classics too, of course, like uh, Dark Side of the Moon. 
Um, just shit. Zeppelin one and two. Oh man, I Abbey Road, Sergeant Pepper's Revolver, Rubber Soul. I had all those as well. Very good, man. You got you got rid of them all. I got rid of them all. Where I, was I? I I don't know. I, I this was at a hectic time in my life. It was before I moved into the the Stratford house. I had gotten rid of a lot of uh, stuff then. So I was just so sick of moving shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what Gabby and I just did, dude. We we got a dumpster and threw it in our driveway and filled up a 30-yard dumpster with all the shit we don't. We slimmed down, like, all the bullshit we didn't want anymore. Yeah. And just Yeah. I mean, it was like, that might be, like, uh, like a wasteful thing to do because there probably was a lot of stuff that we could have repurposed or taken to the thrift store. But it's like, I've been living in that house for so long, just the junk that people have left there and just shit that has accumulated over years for no reason at all. It weighs you down, man. Dude, if you ever find, I, I lost a hat at your house and I don't know where it went. It was a hat that I accidentally stole when I was on peyote in Florida. It says Alita River State Park on it. Is this a regular ball cap? Regular ball cap. Okay, I'll keep it. It's, it's it. like a gray blue color. <laughs> what are you doing on peyote? Oh, yeah, you did tell me you took peyote. Yeah, I took peyote. I was down in Florida with a, with a friend. I was visiting a friend and we went and we, uh, we went to the state park and we were going to kayak through the mangroves. Wow. So we had taken peyote before that. And we went into this place and I was like, I need a hat. So that way I like my head doesn't get sunburned. So I, I put on this hat and my friend was like, I'll buy it for you. And I was like, cool. And then we go outside while I was high on peyote. I'm like, did you pay for the hat? He was like, no. Ah, nice. So I, that, that's the only time I've ever stole anything was when I was high on peyote. It's been really? longer than five years, so I can disclose that now. You seem like a really honest guy. I, yeah, dude. It would, be, it would be hard for me to steal. I would feel too guilty about really? it. Really? Yeah. I ne- never shoplifted when I was a kid, anything like that. Yeah, but I got a big stick up my ass about how much they charge for stuff and how corporate everything's become and how much they pay their employees. I'm not saying that I steal. I would never say that. But, but- if you did, you would, you would steal fruit. If, if I stole, I would steal everything. Um, but I, because bottles I of teriyaki, bottles of teriyaki. Yeah, I would, I would steal all my, all the food. I would steal everything I could from Home Depot. But I don't do that because I just, you know, spiritually that could end disastrously. But I do think that there is something really fucked up about the whole supply chain. They're paying nothing to have this shit manufactured and shipped here, the bare absolute minimum. And then they put it on these shitty fucking shelves in these big apart uh, box stores that in essence... With fluorescent lighting. With fluorescent lighting, they cost them nothing because they're, they're charging so much for this shit that they paid nothing for. And then they're paying their employees nothing to sell this fucking no bullshit to fuck. people. And nobody gives a fuck about their job. Yeah, yeah. You could you, you could walk into a place like that and steal a lawnmower and walk out with it, and even if they noticed, they wouldn't say shit because they don't fucking care. They hate they hate that company as much as you do, if not more. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because they probably don't have health insurance. I worked at a, a grocery store. You did. Yeah, it was this place called Shaw's. Um, it was like a. It would be the equivalent of like Publix versus Kroger down here. Okay. But Publix is not was nicer than Shaw's. But in, in Maine, um, it's like state mandated that you have to recycle. So everybody would bring in, like I worked as a cashier and I was also the bottle clerk. So the bottle and can clerk. So people would come in and th- there were these machines that you would put your cans and bottles into. Yeah. And you would get five cents back. 
And it was like 10 cents for bigger bottles and then 15 cents for like the biggest bottles. It was a machine? It was a machine. That's so, so cool. They had plastic, aluminum, and uh, glass. And it was my job. I like I had to empty out the bins underneath it. Oh, God. And, uh, and break them down, basically. Like the bottles and cans, someone came to pick up, but the glass was the shit one. Because you would have to stick it, you would have to put on uh, like safety goggles and gloves and stick them in there. Dude, I, I will remember that smell for the rest of my life. Uh, it's not a good smell. I can't imagine what that could smell like. It's every kind of alcohol you can imagine. Skunk. Just beer, wine, <clears throat> vodka, whiskey, rum. Like, and you, uh, there was people that I would see frequently. So, like, you were like, okay, this person's an alcoholic. Oh, yeah. But I mean, that's kind of that's kind of the best case scenario when you're alcoholic. It's like you're drinking, and you just you, know, you can go get a return. Like at, um, at a what's that place called? A turnip truck. You can get the big glass bottle of chocolate milk, and like they give you a deposit when you bring back the big glass bottle. That's what it is. Yeah, and it's like oh, half off my chocolate milk. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> so you you pay like a like if you get like a, a twelve pack of beer or something like that, yeah. you get there's an additional like five cents per unit that you pay. Um, and then you just get that money back. And there's also like redemption places you can take it to. And then sometimes shit wouldn't scan cause it was all sticky and shit or the labels got all fucked up and you would have to like manually punch it into the computer. Like what it was. How much were you making an hour? I was making $10 an hour at this job. I was, uh, I bet you felt like the man making $10 an hour back then. I did. Yeah, Honestly, I yeah. Did. Remember I, when $10 made you feel like the man? Yeah, I had, <laughs> um, I had this 2000 Pontiac Grand Am. Like, I, I, uh, I lost my virginity around this time, too. I started smoking weed, started drinking. Wow. So, and uh, I was one of the only dudes that was working there because, like, everybody else was away at college. It was in this tourist town called uh, Freeport. So Freeport is where L.L. Bean is, and there's a bunch of outlet shops. So it's very popular with tourists. But in the winter, it dies off. But there was, uh, there was a bunch of young cuties that worked there with me who would come home for the summer and shit. So yeah. I was just like... Game on? Yeah. Game on in Ladytown? Yeah. Wow. That sounds, that sounds great, dude. Did you wear a lot of um, L.L. Bean at the time? No. I, uh, I had some like L.L. Bean stuff. I probably had... Like a pair of boots, but they weren't even technically L.O. Bean ones. Um, wow. I do have a pair now, though. Yeah? I wear them whenever, they, whenever it snows. Are, are, are you pro-double L? I'm, I'm pro-double L, yeah. I mean, they make good shit, dude. They have a, a warranty, like a life, lifetime warranty on their products. I think they've taken it away. But let's say you have a pair of boots for like 20 years. You could bring it in. You're like, I don't like these boots anymore. That's a bad business model. Oh, that's probably why they got rid of it. Yeah, that's a bad business model. Like REI does that shit. I'm like, how are you still in business, dude? Well, uh, one of my buddies, the last time I was in Maine is how I got the boots I got now. Because I, like, I was trying to get bean boots and they didn't have any. <coughs> and I said, well, what if I trade in my backpack? I'll give you the gift card. And then I take your your boots. So we, sw we swapped and I got like these worn in pair of boots and they're, oh. they're a good pair of boots. There's nothing better than a worn in pair of boots. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Well, that, that sounds, that sounds like a good, that sounds like a good situation. Making $10 an hour. <laughs> Can you imagine making $10 an hour now? Not in Nashville. You imagine there's some fucking fucks out here making $10 an hour. How oh, yeah. are you doing it? What's your secret of survival? Because like, 
It's hard, bro. Like, I remember after COVID was underway, but things were starting to pop back open. I drove by KFC in Hermitage, and I saw a sign that said hiring fry cooks, $18 an hour. That's decent. Like, I mean, but that you still really can't make a living on that unless you're working over 40 hours a week. That You still have roommates then. Yeah, that's, that's, a, roommate, that's a roommate scenario. Um, yeah, okay, so you want to know some shit? Remember I told you I was doing that valet job this year? Yeah. I was making 12 an hour doing that. Plus tips? Yeah, but no one ever tipped me. I only worked nights. I yeah. worked tw- I worked um eleven to seven a.m. Like for I did that for like three months, dude. As a as a twenty six year old man, I went back and I made twelve dollars. I know I'm making twelve dollars an hour, but like from like my lifestyle and the commitments and shit that I got going on, like that is that you can't. I couldn't survive on that. No. But I got so sick of working in the heat. I just got. I was just like, man, I'm gonna go find a night job. And I thought the tips were gonna be better. And all I did was just sit outside and talk to homeless people for fucking days on end. And it was great. I loved that aspect of it. But, you know, it, it was a matter of time before I was, like, running down. It was at the um, Union Station Hotel. Yeah, Go right fuck downtown. yourself. And, <laughs> and I would go down there and, like, steal food out the kitchen and, like, you know, just, just fucking hang out. It was a decent job, but I just probably ended up smoking too many cigarettes during the whole time playing yeah, guitar. Yeah, dude. I mean, the job situation... I've yet to crack the code. There was, I was thinking about this the other night. Um, I had one really fucking great boss as a young man. It was my last job in Maine. Only one. Yeah. Mm. Like uh, all the retail jobs I worked, they were like fun and stupid and shit. Um, Like I worked at Staples. I was working at Staples and I got an internship at this place called BEK. Um, and my boss, Gil, he was a retired Navy admiral. And he, was, he is the greatest leader I've met until this day, dude. Wow. Like, whenever he would, like, if I went out on a sales call with him and, and he, he made, like, a wrong move or something. Because he, he wasn't, like, he was very smart business-wise, but he didn't feel comfortable in sales scenarios. Um, and they had hired me as like a young salesman. They were like, instead of working on IT shit, do you want to do sales? And I had already been there for maybe six months or something like that. But it, it wasn't a strong suit and he knew that. And he even, he sat me down and explained that to me one day. He's like, we're going to start doing sales. Um, he was just saying that he didn't feel like it was something he was strong at, all that good shit. But anytime he would fuck something up or he made a mistake, that affected the team, he would like call me up to his office and like explain to me the wrong decisions he, he made. And I, looking back on that now, I've never had another boss do that. Yeah. And I really respect that. Like he was like, I fucked this up. He, he didn't say it that exactly. Um, but he would tell me all sorts of shit. And like, whenever I fucked up a lot, <laughs> dude. So he would always sit me down and explain to me what I did wrong. And at the time, I didn't really understand what he was doing. I just knew I fucked up. Yeah. 22, you know? And at the time, I, I was like, I was dating a girl. I was in love. I was like, yeah, I'm a salesman. <laughs> sales, sales jobs, total scam. Yeah you're, yeah, you're sleazy if you're selling anything. Total scam. You still got that stank on you, dude. You should go sell cars while you still got it. Uh, it, it I love doing sales because you can, as long as you hit your numbers, you can fucking roll in light. No one says shit to you. You, you don't you don't have the same rules as everybody else. Oh, yeah, no. Well, that's that's Gabby's deal right now. She's selling land, and it's just like, they're, 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 there's no, it's the Wild West. The motherfuckers, salespeople are crazy. Yeah. Straight up. Straight up, man. But 
uh, like at this job, he, um, I remember this one time, dude, I had sent, I was doing, I was about to get this really big sale. So I was pressuring this client hardcore, hard fucking core. Like, cause they, they were brushing me off, brushing me off saying it's not in the budget yet. So I sent an email. Oh no. An ultimatum email <laughs> and basically threatened them. Um, and said, you need to do this or we're, we can't work together anymore. And my boss pulled me into his office and he, he was scary, dude. Retired Navy Admiral scary. Um, he never really like screamed at me, but he used a stern tone of voice, which was scary enough. That's kind of scarier. Cause he would get all red and shit too. Oh, he's like, he's holding back, but he's also like still like keeping it together. It's like, damn dude. I think like you're seeing the cracks in the dam. Oh yeah. Cause he knew like I fucked up. I should have never sent that fucking email. And you know what? By some grace of God. And I didn't, I did not take advantage of this when it happened. The email notification bounced back for whatever reason. I checked the email address, everything checked out. So I was like, I'm going to make a Gmail account and fucking send the email. So I did. <sighs> but um, the client requested that I no longer work with them anymore. I'm Uh-oh. removed from the account. Like the, the, my company, it, 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 it was a small, like small town company. So they had a great reputation in the community. Everybody yeah, loved them. Yeah, you can't go in there like both hands on your dick trying to like. Oh, dude. I was like, look at my dick. <laughs> <laughs> you're either, you're going to suck it. On your own, or you're, I'm going to force you into sucking it. Damn, dude. Um, and it was, uh, there was just so many times, dude. I got in trouble for doing stupid shit like that. I was just so fucking brazen. But I was thinking, why did I ever even get that job? Because I did so much dumb shit. But I think the, the reason I got it, the reason that they wanted to stick with me was when I was an intern, there was this guy, his name was Ben. And Ben was, he was a rat. You couldn't trust him. Oh, man. I I felt that way at 22. I didn't like him. When I was working at Staples and, like, moonlighting at BEK, so I was working, like, two jobs pretty much. I was making $10 an hour at BEK at the time. And then $7.50 an hour maybe at, at Staples. Yep. Um. But uh, I had sold this computer to this, this nice old man uh, that used to own a business, was retired. My boss, Gil, knew him. He was like, when he comes in, just sell him the printer. All this was a test for me. This is what it was, because I'm sure he called the guy Fred and was like, how to tailor do, yada, yada, yada. So me and this guy, Ben, go to his house to set it up, because I would go with people on like IT installations, you know what I mean, to, to handle their shit. Ben had fucked something up and he he was trying to a blame it on the customer. The old man didn't know, but I knew I was like, I didn't want to say anything at the time, but I was like, this is, this is Ben, this is Ben's fault. And he tried to build him hours for it and all that shit. So I felt very conflicted because I was, I went to, um, I went to like, uh, one of the, one of the other people in the company and I told them what had happened. I was like, what should I do? And she was like, Honestly, thank you for, for telling me this is the kind of shit we need to know about. And then after everything happened, like my boss, the COO, and then the HR person that I, I had talked to about this, 
they all like sat me down. They, they were just like, so what happened? Yada, yada. They were asking me all these details. And um, that's, the, I think, honestly, the reason why they kept me around. Because I, I told them, I was like, look, I didn't feel comfortable with this happening. And this, this old dude getting blamed and billed for it. Which, you know, some companies, some bosses would be like, fuck him, charge him. Who cares? But, um, yeah, I, I had gone to them and they, they, had, they were just like, yeah, it, cre- it created a whole fucking thing. Because uh, this guy, he confronted me one day. And he was like, you went behind my back. And I was like, fuck you, dude. You did something that morally is not right. I was 22 at the time. I was saying nice. shit to him. I never had another issue with him again, though. Well, when you stand up to people, it's like that's when you draw your line in the stand. That's been my biggest setback my entire life is just never knowing where my line is and not knowing until my world is falling apart. If you st- wait, the second you stand up to somebody, you're like, okay, I got to back down now or else, you know, you know they, they know they went too far. The problem I've always had is that I draw that line too soon. Yeah. It was, so I'm willing to fight like <clears throat> almost right away. Yeah. Um, and I look back on it now. The other thing was I remember one day I was going to be late for, for work and I was still an intern. So I was freaking the fuck out. So my genius idea was I'm going to bring two dozen donuts in. Oh, so I'm rolling in late, but I'm rolling in with donuts. That's okay. And everybody was like donuts. And that not long after that is whenever I got the official fucking job offer. Um, <laughs> That's brilliant. Actually, I need to, I need to use that. Yeah. If you, if you roll in late, dude, th- advice for anybody, if you're about to roll in late to work, roll in with donuts. I, I need that. I need All that advice. will be forgiven. Yeah, that's great. That, that's, that's great. What's the worst job that you've had? Because I've had some bad ones. Easily Target, dude. Target, really? Target. I worked at Target twice, bro. You went back? No called, no showed on them twice. <laughs> Is it because of the aroma? I hear they have like their own scent that they... It does smell like popcorn, at least back in the old days. There's something about it. Like, every Target smells different. Yeah. Or they smell the same. You know what I mean? There's an aroma. Um, it was horrible. Like, so I was, uh, this was before I started working at Shaw's when I was living in Maine. I had just come back from Florida. I think. Yeah, because I had a car. I can't remember where this falls in the timeline. But I had to, um, I got a job working on the flow team at Target. And I started work at uh, 4 a.m. Oh, God. As a 19-year-old man. Damn. I just got a car, just started getting my dick sucked, all that shit. You know, you want to party. You don't want to have to. Yeah, but you're also like, I'm responsible. I'm not in college. I'm the man. Because, like, that's what college really is, is, like, am I going to grow up and, like, be that dude that's showing up to work at, like, 4 a.m.? You're fucking nuts. Maybe, like, 7 or something. But, like, or am I going to just, like, fuck off for the next four years until, uh, you know, something happens and then I'll, and then I'll figure it out. You had to, when you're 19 and you didn't go to college, like you're in no man's land. Hell yeah, dude. But you're also the man. Yeah. I liked that shit. I liked being the young guy that wasn't in college while everyone else was fucking off. Cause I had a lot of responsibility. Yeah. It was, it was similar for me, but working at target was <laughs> horrible, target. dude. It was horrible. <laughs> like, uh, so basically we had to unload the trucks I was too skinny, so they put me down in the line, so I was like a sorter. Oh. Um, and there was guys who would take that job so fucking seriously. Oh, so you were loading big trucks. 
unloading them. Oh, unloading. To put, to put shit on the shelves, and everything was, like, timed. We had to do it in a certain amount of time. We would get in trouble. We weren't allowed to talk. Because I would always want to talk when I was working with people. My whole life, I've been told to shut the fuck up. Whether it was at work, at school, just stop talking. You talk too much. Why are you always talking? That's why I like doing gigs with you, man. Because you're the only one that's still awake at the end of the night. I know. Push yeah. it all the way home. <laughs> yeah, it, it is fun, dude. Because um, I'm usually pretty awake at night. Uh, that, that's probably when my mind is most active when I'm trying to go to bed. Oh, me too. Yeah. But that's why Target was not a good job for me because oh, I would have to go to bed at like 8 a.m. And it just it, – it didn't work out. I, th- there was this, this guy. He was also uh, a ma- like the drive through manager at McDonald's. He was my boss. His name was Chris. And he pulled me into his office one day. I didn't even work at Target 90 days. He's like, your 90 days are coming up. Um, you got to prove to me you want to be here. Oh, my God. So the next day I didn't show up. <laughs> I was like, fuck you. Nice, dude. I, I love that you know where that line is because that's like the next day I would have been like, oh shit. I would have been there like early. I was terrified this whole time. And like as a young person, you don't know that someone is just fucking with you. Like this was the kind of piece of shit guy that he was fucking with me because he could. Yeah. And maybe in his own retarded ass backwards way, he was trying to push me. But he was just a miserable fucking cunt who had a miserable fucking cunt wife and, and two miserable fucking cunt kids. And he hated his life. Yeah, yeah. And he had to take it out on you. The dude's making $10 an hour to unload trucks for no good reason. For $10 an hour. Yeah, man. Um, kind of similarly, I think I've had a lot of bad jobs. Um, but they all kind of taught I didn't learn anything working at McDonald's. We got robbed. That shit was hilarious. You got robbed at McDonald's? Yeah, we got robbed at McDonald's. Um, <laughs> yeah, we were in... At gunpoint? Gunpoint, yeah. No, I wasn't working at register. I was a burger flipper. I was in the back, and then, like, this dude comes in, and... Uh, but Latrice, like, the manager, she, like, flipped out, and she just, like, knocked... She just re- jumped over the counter, like, knocked a gun out of dude's hand, beat the shit out of him. The cops came. Oh, shit. That's yeah. badass. Yeah, Latrice was a legend. Um, but I'd say the worst job I've had is probably UPS. And was that here in Nashville? No, no. I worked at UPS in New Stanton. Um, they take that shit seriously. Oh, it was UPS. the second biggest one in the country. It was, I was on, I was on, the, I did it two seasons. So I did like peak season twice. And I would literally. Were you like a helper? Or were you working at the warehouse? I was at the warehouse. I was loading trucks. I was, I was loading and unloading, um, working in the small sort. And um, when the shit gets to get really crazy, like, because um, you probably start around September, October, and then the peak season ends, like, around the end of January. But, like, around November, that's when shit really starts to get crazy. Oh, because, yeah. Black Friday is coming. Oh, yeah. Christmas yeah. So, is coming. So they're putting all this pressure on you to double out. And it's just, and then you're like, well, shit, I'm only making $10 an hour. Like, I'd like to be making more. So you start doubling out on your shifts. And next thing you know, like, you're just not even sleeping. You're just. What does doubling out mean? Oh, okay. So there's like, you know, three shifts, like anything. It's like, say I go and work the day shift. That's like, you know, seven to five. Um, I would go home and I would sleep from like seven to 10, be back at work at 11, work until 4 a.m., go back home, sleep. And be at work at 7 a.m. So I would sleep like two two-hour periods in a day. I'd maybe get like three hours one time I slept and two hours the other time I slept. But it was just their management style. It was so 
fucking aggressive. And I was like young and I didn't know. And I was just also like, I'm not giving up on this. I'm gonna fuck you up, you PS. Because I remember one time um, I was uh, I was real sick. I got the flu. And I'm just throwing up and I'm just like, oh, my God, stuffy nose, sick. And I'm trying to call in. I'm not going to make it to work, obviously. I'm fucked. There's no number to call in. There's no fucking number. So I end up like calling another employee and I got like the cell phone number of like the assistant to the boss. And I was like, I was like, I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm sick. Well, hang up the phone. It's probably like, you know, seven in the morning. I'm just trying to just go back to sleep. Just, you know, it's morning. I'm sick. And my phone rings and it's the manager of like the whole UPS, a new Stanton. And he's like, oh, Isaac, you know, we really need you today. I was like, dude, I'm, I'm sick. I'm, I'm throwing up. It's, it's not going to work out. He's like, no, man. What, what, like, we really need you today. You know what? The, you, you know how many? You know how many packages are coming through today? It gives me like the, you know, how, how, they always give you the load volume of the day, and it's just like some fucking stupid number that they're never going to accomplish. And I'm like, no, man, I, I'm not coming in. Straight up, not coming in. And he, he goes, he was like, we'll put you on the small sort. We'll get you a trash can if you throw up. Oh my god, dude! Yeah, and I just I just hung up the phone. I was like, oh, "Fuck yourself, fuck your mother." I'm not doing this. Did you go back in there? Yeah, I did. I waited till I got better. I went back in there because I needed the money. Yeah, yeah. And I, they they just took you back. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Fuck of, them. Of course they needed me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they needed me, right? But then I I, I did that job. To like tw- there was the managers I had there, man. There was oh god, dude, this dude Robert, Jesus Christ, dude. It was one time I. I I doubled out, man, and just the way the way someone can dog you, like he put, it was a brand new position, put me in the thing, and I had no idea what I was doing. I was brand new to this like weird position. I was um, diverting packages by zip code on zero sleep, just trying to make enough money. I'm like, this one goes here, this one goes here. Okay, that one's a you know sorting packages, and I'm I've maybe fucked up three or four, and this dude pulled me out. And just, I've never been talked to like that in my entire life. And we squared up, man. It was amazing that we actually didn't end up fighting. But I just, I left after that. That was, that was about the end. What did he say to you? He was oh, like, you're fucking this up. Yeah, pretty much. But he was just like, you fucking pussy. You think you can, you know, you, why, why are you here? You fucking lazy ass. Just started like, you know, just going into the whole, like, I had no work ethic. And it's like, dude, I, it's like, I've, I've been working 70 hours this week already. And, you, <laughs> and when you're that age, your brain is fucking underdeveloped. You don't know anything from anything yet. Yeah. You well, have no life experience to draw. And I'm from. also questioning myself. It's like, am I not working hard enough? But it's like, well, there's one side of my brain that just wants to just beat the shit out of this this stupid man and then the other side is just like am I really not good enough and the answer was like no I was killing it I was working so hard I had one of the highest load rates uh, on at least my belt probably like that but big corporations like yeah. that they just want more 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 oh god man yeah for nothing dude I was making ten dollars an hour yeah. at that job yeah it was it was awful it was just so awful because you're freezing to death too the entire time you're in there in Pennsylvania in the middle of winter in the back of a truck like dude it's fucking Oof. I don't recommend it. That's all I'm saying. E- Evan was working for FedEx, being in like one of the big white trucks. And it's, that's all they're doing to you, man. It's just like, oh, nope, you, gotta, you, you get to the end of your day and they just add more. And you get to that end of that day and they add more. And next thing you know, you've worked 13 hours. And it's yeah. like, yeah, you're tired. You've made no extra money because they don't give you overtime health insurance or any type of benefit. No. All, I, I, I don't work corporate jobs. That was probably the last corporate job that I've actually worked. I only worked for small companies. And whereas like there are 
pros and cons to that, at least you know who you're dealing with. At least you know you can walk into the room and be face-to-face with the motherfucker that's in charge. Yep. There's something to be said for that. You, you're looking face-to-face with somebody that built something out of nothing. And that's way more worth respecting than just someone that just, you know, chewed their way like up Like a middle manager, ladder. dude. Yeah. Yeah, I, I prefer, like, my experience at BEK made me really like working for small businesses. Yeah. Because it, it was a great experience. Like, I, at the time, it, it felt so shitty because I had a lot of, uh, a lot of failures. But I, I am now... Uh, convinced that you have to learn how to lose in order to know how to win definitely you have to learn how to lose gracefully (laughs) to know how to win and that's what working this job taught me because they they had also brought in this guy who was a business consultant and every friday we would meet in a comp in like our conference room and it, it wasn't big but there was like these glass doors. They had this big like sharp tv like a smart tv it was like when smart tvs were just starting to get big before everybody really had them in their house, but it, it was like right around that time period. And this guy, Jim, he was like an experienced salesman. And I remember the first day that I went in there, I, I had already been working for the company for a while. And they were like, we want you to do sales. I had gotten my first sale with the company that day. And I was late to this meeting because I got a sale, but I was bringing back a check because they were like, make sure you're here by eleven. And it got delayed. I was trying to get the check, everything like that. But that first sale was, uh, it was for this guy who was a former professional tennis player. And he owned like a tennis facility in this small town in Maine. And I had sold him a couple of servers. I was so afraid, but he was a really nice guy. He's like the kind of person that you want your first sale to be with. Um, Show up late. This guy, Jim McCarthy is like, Hey, Taylor. And the only words I could manage, I never met this guy before in my life. Everybody was in the conference room. The only words I can muster up was, I'm Taylor. My voice cracked when I said it. Everybody laughed. Um, But he started talking about the art of war in Sun Tzu and how it was like a fucking allegory, metaphor, whatever, for business. And... um, he eventually, he made me start cold calling. I had to learn like this, uh, how to do an elevator pitch. Like if, if I'm just meeting someone at a networking event or something like that. So I had to be like, my name's Taylor Berryman. I work for BEK as an account executive, a technology account executive. I can't remember all the shit cause it's been like 10 years now. Yeah. But it was, um, it was such a great experience. I had so many days where I just embarrassed myself and they all laughed at me. But they were never they were never truly mean to me. They never tried to really fuck with me. When they got mad at me, they had 100% they were in the right. Every single time I got a talking to, I deserved the talking to. That's badass. Yeah, but that sounds like a good job, though. It was great, man. Yeah, I look back so romantically at that time. Man, that's great, man. The the there's there's something to be said, man, about I, I don't know the way I work and the way I've always worked, but especially right now, it's more mindful practice for me is to get in there, do the absolute absolute best that I possibly can, and then ask everyone around me that can do it better than me how I fucked it up. 
so I can figure it out. Because all everything I do be right now, be accountable. Yeah, exactly. I just want, I, and I also want to be improving. I want to be as learning as everything that I'm doing right now is for, for the past couple years has been just working with my hands, repairing houses, fixing stuff, painting, carpentry, like every, all all of those projects wrapped up into one thing. And you know, being around people that, that can do that better than you, it's like it's a humbling thing to watch people work with their hands. It's a craft. Well, there's something to be said too for older people. Whenever they know you want to try, they like they see you're making an effort and you have a good attitude. They will show you whatever they can to help you and to help you learn. <laughs> Old people love me. They, of course they do. They love me, dude. I'm <laughs> such a tryhard. I'm such a tryhard, and I'm so hard on myself, dude. Like old people are like, "Oh, look at him go." But like, you know, you catch me in a couple of years. But that's that's also what we were talking about, man. That 714 shit. It's like, yeah, that 714 shit. E- hard. Explain what that means. <laughs> Okay, um, well, you can take it as many ways as you want. Um, uh, th- there's a John Lee Hooker album called... Free it? Beer and Chicken. Free Beer and Chicken. Yeah, it's like 1974. It's like the album he tried to get. It's pretty funky. funky. It's the shit, actually. It's, I think it's one of my favorite albums ever. But there's 713 Blues and 714 Blues. Um, and in my fucked up little head, I had always thought that 713 in my head was just like... You know, I was living this 713 lifestyle where I was always telling myself that I'm not good enough. I'm not ready yet. I'm still got a lot to learn before I can start doing what I really want to do. And really, man, I used to write 713 on a lot of stuff. Like I was like, okay, um, because I came to Nashville as the student. I, I was very much, that was a very conscious thing to me coming here as a musician. Like I'm here to learn. I've that's all I want to do is just come to Nashville and learn how to be a better musician, a better player, have a better relationship with music. Um, but I was stuck in that 713 mindset where it's like, oh, well, you know, I'm not good enough yet, so I better not, uh, you know, set my sights too high, you know, like whatever bullshit. But I had this thought, um, 714 still learning, but 714 knows he's good enough. 714 knows that, at the end of the day, in order to achieve more, you got you to gotta know you're the shit, but ain't, ain't nobody 715. You got you to gotta keep, uh, keep trying. Yeah, you got to keep trying, but it's also, it's like, but you're good enough. Like, you're, like, and you're never going to think that. Like, I, I, I relate to this because I, I have a mentality where it's like, I think, like, in, in, our, in our own minds, we're our own harshest critics. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've always been my own harshest critic and it's held me back. It's kind of what I'm trying to say is that when, well, I'm just like, oh man, yeah, that sounds like shit. And it's like, no, it's probably good enough. And good enough's like good enough. But it's like, I'm not trying to get good enough, but I need to establish for my own sanity that like my baseline is good enough. I'm a good enough guitar player. I'm a good enough songwriter. I'm a good enough singer. I'm pretty fucking killer. But at the end of the day, like if I want to overachieve that, if I want to, if I want to transcend good enough, like I have to establish that, yeah, I'm good enough, but now it's time to reach higher than that. Like, that's, that's, that's my next phase that I'm in right now is, like, just reaching higher than good enough. Because I know I'm good enough, but I never knew I was because I was stuck in that 713, 714, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough to do, man. It's a, it's a hard, a hard to, thing to accept. Like, oh, I actually do know what I'm doing now because I have a little bit of life experience. And tell me if you can relate to this. There's always going to be a certain aspect where we still feel like we're students. You know what I mean? Like, like we're here to learn, try new shit, all of that. 
But now it's like we have the confidence to know that we can get shit done. Because we've gotten shit done and we've been in situations that were unfavorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even tell you how many unfavorable situations that I've been in in my entire life. And it's like, I heard Steve Harvey say this the other day, dude. You're a Steve Harvey fan. Oh, yeah, dude. He's very wise. He's very wise, dude. I love him. But he was saying that uh, your success rate for every difficult situation that you've ever been in is 100%. And I loved that because it was just my success rate of survival, my success rate of getting shit done, no matter the cost, even if I fucking fucked it up, my success rate of fucking survival is 100%. And it is because I'm sitting here on the couch with you. It's great. Not dead yet. No, I'm not dead yet. Yeah, things are only looking up, man. Things are only looking up because they're still changing and evolving. And it's like we're still getting stronger and life keeps throwing you shit. But it's, 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 I'm still learning. I'm still watching myself learn and develop. It's like my, my biggest fear is really like you, you see people walking through life and it's like they've obviously plateaued and they're content with it. And they're not looking for that next challenge. They're not looking to do anything else. I'm, I'm still looking, man. Big ideas. What do you think that is, though? What, like, why are some people just cool with being on cruise control? Is is that something that's out of fear too? I don't know. I mean, I think I think that is almost like the ultimate goal for some people is just to be content. And I don't think there's actually anything wrong with that. But I just know that's not right for me. I can't pass judgment on a guy that's just, he's got his routines down and he's got his nice girlfriend. They go home at the end of the day, they watch a television show and, you know, talk about, talk some bullshit and go to sleep. Like, you know, like the routine is cool. That's a lot of people's mojo. I would just like to see more. Um, I would just like to see more color and I would like to see more individuality in, in those processes with people. Cause I think Right now, we're definitely slaves to consumerism and, you know, gray walls and furniture from Ikea and the same stuff that we've been hearing for the past 20 years on the news channels. And, you know, that's just there's bigger things out there. There's other options and there's different places to, um, you know, explore and you can have your routines, but it's um, complacent. I think complacency when you're miserable is the absolute worst thing. I think those are the traps that people need to avoid. If you're complacent, but you're content, like more power to you, man, you found your groove, but um, there's more often than not, I run into people that are very complacent and they're, they're very upset and And they're living for their next vacation. Yeah. And they just don't know how to change anything. They don't know how to mix it up. They're waiting for, you know, a guy like a guy like me to come around and show them a fun time. And it's like, that's not really my responsibility. I like, I have friends that, 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 that kind of rely for me on that. And it's, you know, that's, I, 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 I don't want to be like the sole excitement in your life, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I get it. I'm exciting. I do, I do interesting stuff all the time, but it's like, you know, you gotta, you gotta generate that at a certain point. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. You got, you gotta be your own fucking weird sister. I don't know if it's that man, but it's like, you know, just find your funk, man. And just, there's so much to explore. Um, like I told you, I was reading uh, that Carl Sagan's, uh, Cosmos book, started watching some of the, um, 1989 series. And I was like, wow, you know, maybe, uh, cause I work all day and it's like, you know, I was painting a house. I was like, man, I'll listen to some audiobooks. I forgot how much catharsis that i get from physics in astro astronomy excuse me i almost said astrology that's not real um there's there's so much like almost in like with the i think the sensation 
that people get from religion, that, that's truly the type of peace that exploring astronomy gives me. Because as infinite and terrifying as that is, it's w- when you see things in a light that actually makes scientific sense, it's, it almost makes your time here and your purpose so much more meaningful. I've been loving that. Because we're a, a blip on the fucking radar. It yeah. reminds you that. Yeah, and, you know, it, it doesn't matter, but that kind of makes it all the sweeter because it's, you know, it's, it's going to be gone so quickly. And there's so much wonder out there and there's so much left. And uh, I, I don't know, last couple of years I've been kind of really struggling with um, any sense of, like, religious practice or anything. I mean, I've tried a lot of things. I've even, I've even picked up a Bible or two. But, you know, nothing's really given me that sensation of, like, ah, Eureka. You know, I feel like I'm getting that right now from um, Buddhism and just some of the stuff I've been learning from that. Because there's there's no like there's no God per se. I mean, there's Buddha, but he's not like a God. Yeah, he's just and it's a, really awakened. just like every single one of us uh, is interconnected. Everything is interconnected. We're all part of this experience, and life to a, to a certain degree, it's it's suffering, and it's how you deal with that suffering. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I like it. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm a, I'm very very into um, different forms of uh, um, Buddhism. It, it kind of influences a lot of um, a, a lot of uh, my 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 musical work for sure. I but, can hear that especially these days with uh, the newer songs. Well, thanks, man. Um, but at the, I think at the same time, like this kind of get, coming back to like my my, my love of uh, astronomy. I, I'm actually seeing incredible correlations because I mean, kind of getting off the beaten path for as much as I used to love science so much. I really started going down like the, uh, the Buddhism um, rabbit hole quite a bit. And now that I'm kind of coming full circle, it's like I'm seeing all these interconnectivities that um, I think a lot of one explains the other, unlike any other spiritual practice. It's, I, haven't, I haven't really found it yet, but I think there's, I think there's definitely, definitely something there. Because meditation is very, very helpful, and the the times I can quiet my mind enough to to do something that dramatic to, with myself, it's like wow. But I get my most of my meditation from playing the guitar, really. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think meditation. There's there's like a meditation where you sit and you actively try to meditate, but there's also the kind of meditation where you go into a flow state. Yeah, you know what I mean. I think it, I think of that whenever I'm like playing music, you know. I'll get into very deep jams um, on my own and sometimes with other people. Sometimes I'll share it with other people. But when I'm playing music by myself, and you just close your eyes. And I mean, I completely out of body, visually, mentally, like I'll, 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 I'll see things. I'll make connections. I'll, 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 I've been to different places. Just And, and then it would just... You know when that 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 cycle the jams over. It's almost like uh, having like a psychedelic trip. You know when you know how you it ebbs and it flows. Once you get back to the the ebb, it's like mm-hmm. whoa! You just fly back in your body, and you, know, you might miss a note or two or something. But I'll get into these big long tantric fucking jams with myself, and it's it's my favorite way to spend time. We had a great jam a couple of weeks ago. And it was a night that we were going to have like a rehearsal rehearsal, but everybody was having a shit time <laughs> yes. and we, we, no one was feeling it. And you, you guys had made the decision. Let's just fucking jam. And maybe we were going to, you had in mind to practice, but once we started jamming, we just got, got lost for like 
I don't know. Like, yeah, we least. did. Well, we did a, a couple of jams, but I mean, there was no space in between any of those jams. We just—I kind of, remember opening my eyes, and we're all kind of looking at each other after the first one. We're like, and then we just kept going. Yeah, it's like let's keep going. That's, and I think that was that was healing more than really. I think anything. It was something that do. the four of us we we all individually needed. Yeah, I really love playing with you and Christian, man. It's been it's been fun. Hey, man, I, I love playing with you. By the way, we're playing on Saturday night at Fat Bites. That's right. Yeah, we're playing in Fat Bites. That's going to be a very fun show. In Donaldson. Yeah. Fat Bites is cool as fuck, and their food is good. With Joel Dean Roderick in his outfit. That's uh, He's putting the show together. Nice. Joel, Joel's one of my favorite people. Yeah, he's a very sweet dude, and uh, he's he's got a band together. I'm very excited to see it. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Uh, where can people find you at, Isaac? Uh, well, I'm not giving you my address because I'm about to move. Wah, wah. Uh, but where can they find me? I'm on Spotify as The Weird Sisters with Gabrielle Lewis. Uh, you can find us at the underscore Weird Sisters on Instagram. Just go to theweirdsistersband.com. I, I hate naming every individual thing. That's a good place to go because you can just start Just there. Google the Weird Sisters. Don't do that because still all the Harry Potter bullshit oh, will come shit. up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's happened the Weird Sisters Nashville maybe or, um, you know. The Weird Sisters Funky. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, just add some more adjectives or something. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. This is fun. I enjoyed bullshitting with you, dude. Yeah, this Love was you a good episode. <laughs> it's fun. See you next week. Fuck work. <laughs> Blah 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 blah